Welcome to the Bounty Zero X podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Adam, founder and CEO of Bounty Zero X. Bounty Zero X is a decentralized bounty hunting network powered by the BNTY token. Today is March 19th, 2018, and I'm here with Tom Bean and Kyle Kistner of B Zero X, and we're going to be talking about the B Zero X project. So, welcome to the show, and nice to have you two today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks, Angelo. Yeah, my pleasure. So tell me, what is uh, B0X? So B0X is a completely decentralized, peer-to-peer, margin lending protocol. That's an extension of the 0X decentralized exchange infrastructure. So we're an infrastructure project. Uh, Right now, you can't really go short on things very easily trustlessly we're fixing that so for our listeners out there can you give us a, a brief overview overall of the trading landscape so we have uh two types of exchanges we have the centralized exchanges and then the decentralized exchanges can you give us uh, our listeners some information about uh, the overall trading marketplace yeah so the as you said, we have two main type of exchanges. Right now, the decentralized exchange infrastructure is uh, still developing. It still has relatively low volume. Uh, this this is for a number of reasons. Uh, one of them, I think, principally is the, the lack of the uh, full trading capabilities that the centralized exchanges have. So on the centralized exchange front, it's names people would recognize. Coinbase. Gemini, and then as you get further in away from the direct fiat on-ramps, you have uh, places like Bitfinex. That's probably one of the highest uh, volume exchanges. Yeah, Binance, Bittrex, yeah. Uh, and then that's th- those are ones that are heavily used by people in the U.S. And then you have, of course, uh, others like Huobi and Bithum that are used uh, more uh, in the east. So you have a lot of siloing of uh, volume geographically uh, in that sense. Um, and then uh, for the decentralized exchange landscape, it, you, there there are a few uh, there are a few things out there. I, I believe uh, Neo is having the next exchange uh, that Stellar Lumens has uh, some kind of decks they're working on. Uh, EOS has some kind of decks they're working on, and uh, these are all developing. But in terms of uh, the decks that I and, and the projects that actually have traction, I'd say there's there's one standout project, and that's Zero X. It's uh, right now. Uh, if you check on uh, the ETH gas station, its uh, its contract is uh, now in the top ten of uh, Ethereum contracts, um, along with the uh, Ether Delta, which is probably the been the highest uh, volume decentralized exchange. Uh, so I, I, I'd say that even though uh, the Xerox infrastructure uh, has improvements over Ether Delta, it's still it's still coming along. Uh, with uh, Ether Delta, you have issues with the order book. If anybody's ever used it before. Uh, Anytime there's high volume, the order books uh, fail to update quickly, and that lends itself to uh, like repeatedly sending transactions, which end up 
not mining and kind of getting stuck in limbo with your trades. So ZeroX ecosystem is looking to kind of solve that problem. So the ZeroX protocol can be uh, uh, any decentralized exchange can use and leverage the ZeroX protocol to build their own decentralized exchange. And we're probably we're seeing a exactly. yeah. number of exchanges that are being built um, on top of the ZeroX protocol. Uh, but as you said, there are some downsides to cent- uh, decentralized exchanges, one of which being the, the liquidity uh, difficulty in, uh, compared yep. to centralized exchanges. And then one of the other, uh, I guess you could say, downsides of decentralized exchanges is that, um, I mean, there are a number of upsides to decentralized exchanges, but one of them is that they uh, currently don't uh, let users engage in margin trading, right? Oh, yeah. That's a that's a, a giant issue, and I, I, honestly, uh, from what we can tell, this might be the biggest issue keeping liquidity off of the decentralized exchanges. Because when when you have the as a as a trader, it might not matter that much to you because and because you know people are very psychological creatures. They get used to things. They're used to taking on the exchange risk of margin trading on these exchanges, and they become largely acclimated to it. If, if given the option to margin trade non-custodially, they might not necessarily jump on it right away, and there might not be a mass conversion. But where there would be a mass conversion is on the side of margin lenders, because when you're when you're just loaning your money out, and the and the only way you can lose money is by being hacked. And if you do get hacked, it presents the risk of literally all your funds evaporating. Then it, it becomes almost a no-brainer to go to the non-custodial option. And the the prices are going to be the interest rates are going to be linked through arbitrage. So I think that the volume of lenders is going to overwhelmingly shift the decentralized exchanges and with them, the margin traders, and uh, with that increased liquidity from the margin traders and speculators, we're going to get more volume from the average trader. Yeah. And currently there are no decentralized platforms supporting margin trading. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And, you know, the, the zero X infrastructure is really just uh, starting to come on its own. There's a number of relays that, that, uh, have uh, announced themselves, the Radar Relay, uh, the Ocean, Amadeus, Open Relay, and uh, <laughs> Token Jar, Dextroid, and some others. But the only one that really has any uh, traction is Radar Relay. So it's starting to, I, I, I believe it went over 10 million in yeah. volume. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's see, uh, BlockNet, they're going to be building on Zero X and uh, using that to do. Uh, cross-chain transactions, but but uh, they're almost there. But you know that that's all there is right now in the ecosystem. So it's it's really brand new and uh, really growing right now. Up until now, we've taken it for granted. Listeners know what margin trading is. Um, can you just give a simple definition of how you would define the term of margin trading? Yeah. So margin trading in, involves. Um, Anytime you're using funds for your trading, that's uh, being borrowed from someone else, from a lender. So this, uh, <clears throat> the, the, the main uses of this are 
in the case of short selling. So, you know, if you go long on something, all you have to do is exchange uh, one good for another. And now you're betting that that asset will go up in price. But if you want to go short on something, you want to bet something will go down in price. First, you have to borrow from someone else. Then you have to sell it. And then at a later time, buy it. So that that's the general process of shorting. And you can extend this concept with, uh, you know, ever increasing amounts that you borrow. This increases your leverage. So you could use leverage to go long or you could use leverage to go short. But the essential thing about margin is that you're borrowing. Yeah. And the idea is you put some of your uh, some of your crypto up as collateral to, um, you know, whatever rate is set, uh, <clears throat> whatever the margin level is set. And you can borrow um, against that collateral. So you mentioned this earlier. So with the um, centralized exchanges that support margin trading, there is some risk involved. So the two types of risk that is involved with margin trading from um, either the lender side or the borrower side um, is the the risk of, uh, you know, the custodial risk. So giving someone else your funds and letting those uh, that other third party hold the funds and then be responsible for it and potentially lose it or get hacked. And then there's the the risk of uh, you know, uh, being liquidated and um, you know congestion in terms of uh, right, the, the, right. the prices of, of yeah, so not, not being able to risk on yeah, that front. So, so so in, in in so like in a centralized exchange, if you're trading on margin, the funds that you're lending out, if you're lending the funds, are held by the exchange. And but if you're trading on margin and you're borrowing the funds, then the held the funds are still held by the exchange. And then uh, in that sense, the exchange is subject to being or, or the risk of uh, being hacked. And um, then the position could be liquidated if, if there's like a market dip. Um, and then the uh, lender would then recover their funds. Uh, yep, exactly. So um, now let's apply the, those two forms of risk to the uh, decentralized exchanges, or in particular B0X, since there's no other decentralized exchanges. So you guys are, uh, enab- your protocol will support and enable decentralized exchanges to trade uh, on margin in decentralized fashion. So um, how, exactly. do, how do those yeah. those risk factors, um, um, how are those risk factors changed? When it's in, when the margin trading is happening on a decentralized exchange versus a centralized exchange. Yes, I, I I think there's some trade-offs here, and that's on the decentralized exchange front. It's a total elimination of custodial risk, and that's really important. Uh, I, I I would I would estimate that uh, a very significant chunk of the interest being paid right now on centralized exchanges for margin loans uh, is accounted for by this custodial risk premium. Uh, on the other hand, uh, and so this is, I mean, this is the clear advantage for decentralized exchanges and there's, uh, there's, no, there's no real counter argument to the centralized exchange side. But on the counterparty risk side, because centralized exchanges are holding all the funds and uh, keeping the ledger on their on their central server they're they're able to liquidate things much quicker than uh, on the blockchain so settlement uh, on centralized exchanges 
does tend to be better and faster right now uh, than on uh, decentralized exchanges. So to some extent, you might be mitigating uh, counterparty risk uh, by using the centralized exchange. Uh, that said, centralized exchanges, you, you have to trust uh, that say something does say say that uh, you are liquidated and uh, you're you're you weren't able to recuperate all your funds. At that point, what happens? Uh, and this can be different in the centralized and decentralized exchanges. Centralized exchange might say, "Hey, you know, this is our fault. We did something. Maybe our our order execution engine had a snag or something like that, and we're gonna make you whole." Now it's possible that they do that. I believe GDAX, you know, made made some people whole when there was a flash crash. Yeah, that when happened. it flashed down to a dollar and someone got filled at the bottom at, uh, for like a huge amount. Yeah, and, and then they refunded the counterparties on that. If I recall, for you know, customer goodwill purposes. Yeah, and but you have to trust that they're going to do that, and that they, you know, they are so invested in the goodwill. That, it, that they did the calculation and it's worth it to them. Uh, whereas uh, with, you know, our protocol, for example, uh, on our, or, uh, or, or I should say on the Oracle layer of our protocol, uh, we have a guarantee fund that is a smart contract that has a decentralized governance and automatically pays out to anyone who uh, suffered uh, was adversely affected by counterparty risk. So that's another that's another place where there's an advantage for the decentralized exchange, even though there is some disadvantages in terms of settlement. Yeah. Yeah. So, when, you, when you say when you say adversely affected, that means what, what what he means is the the lender is not getting is not made holes is not getting the full amount loaned back because of a flash crash or some other uh, you know unicorn event. So. Yeah, we'll talk about the B0X protocol. We'll get into the details of that on how you guys handle like the insurance policy for um, the uh, event of like a, a black swan type of event. Um, yeah, yeah. But before we get into that, um, so uh, tell me a little bit about the B0X protocol and, and how you guys in particular are solving this problem. So we, we've kind of laid out the problem until now and a little bit of background of the ecosystem and the different uh, types of uh, uh, systems that are available for trading and margin trading. And then we're outlining your solution to it now. So tell me about the B0X protocol and how you guys manage to enable um, decentralized margin trading uh, from a technical perspective and, and how that works. Sure, sure. So we 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 modeled it uh, <clears throat> pretty similar to to how ZRX they have <clears throat> where orders are created and uh, aggregated off chain and then filled on chain. So in in our case, we have a, a loan order object that's created um, be created by a lender or a borrower. They define the terms of the loan. It's it's and it's gonna. Uh, the parameters that go into the loan, like the the interest rate and the margin levels, and other other parameters, should be determined by uh, uh, you know the market rate. It, the market will set that. If you know if people are putting unfavorable parameters, their orders won't be filled. So these orders are created and they're distributed on um, 
decentralized uh, on, on DEXs and uh, in relays. And then when the order is filled, it's, it's filled in our contract. And our contract calculates exactly how much collateral is required for the, uh, the margin parameters in the order. And it, it escrows those funds. It, 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 it escrows all the funds from the, the lender and the collateral from the borrower and the interest that's required. And, you know, interest is calculated daily and, and paid out to the lenders. <clears throat> and then um, the orders, the, the, and then once the, once the funds, are lent, funds are lent out, the borrower can use those funds to take out 0x trades. So they, they want to um, change their exposure. They want to short the, uh, the loan token. They can do that. And positions are then, positions are also escrowed in our contracts, and they're monitored by Bounty hunters, and um, Kyle, do you want to? Yeah, yeah, sorry. That? Yeah, so uh, about our bounty hunters, right? So we, we realized pretty quickly when we were designing this uh, that if you wanted to monitor and value position, margin positions on chain, you're, you're going to have a bad time because that's going to cost a lot of gas. So you can, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. You. You can imagine that there could end up being millions of positions open at any one time, right? <clears throat> in the you know in the future where this is this really picks up millions of positions, you can't you can't even go through that list on chain. So it, it would be completely non feasible to have it um, all done on chain. At least right now, there there could be options like TrueBit uh, or you know workarounds that help. Uh, operations that cost an enormous amount of gas. But we realized very early on that we needed it to be at least partially off-chain. And we were also extremely worried about uh, settlement issues and network congestion. So we, we tried to think about how could we how could we crowdsource transactions in a way that <clears throat> that that didn't involve just a single shot that could get knocked out of the mempool easily. And so we came up with this idea of bounty hunters that just take a bounty and come and complete the liquidation, importantly, with a single transaction. So there's not like an extended series, you, you know, so like MakerDAO, they they uh, they have a system with uh, with keepers that liquidate and this involves an auction. And this auction is sort of how they're bringing some of the price information on chain. And we looked at that system and, and we thought that this might not be exactly what we're looking for because we need this to execute right away as soon as possible because we're already dealing with some of the downsides of blockchain settlement. Um, so um, let's see. We did that. We have bounty hunters. Uh, we, then, we, then we had another problem, right, which is how do we pay these bounty hunters? Bounty hunters? Like, how do we how do we get their compensation exactly where it needs to be? So, you know, we thought about it for a while, and we we're like, okay, so what 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 are bounty hunter costs? What what, what are they going to be spending on? And we thought about it, and one of one of the things they could be spending on is electricity, might or might not. This is very computationally efficient uh, algorithm they're going to be running to monitor all these margins. In position, so that yeah. might not be a gas cost as well, and then electricity and gas costs. But the big one was the gas costs, and then 
we realized gas costs vary extremely wildly. Uh, you know, depending, you know, if, if the if the transaction queue is, you know, 98% full versus 100% full, if it's bouncing around that range, the, the gas costs, you, you know, could range anywhere yeah, from when, like... When we say gas costs, we mean the cost of gas on the Ethereum network for making transactions. Yeah, so like it could be one way, it could be 50 way, it can bounce all around. And we needed some way to make sure that bounty hunters were properly compensated because if they're not, the entire system could actually break down. So if you don't, if you are not targeting bounty hunter compensation consistently, you could run into instances where it doesn't make sense for the bounty hunter to call in to your contract financially for them, and they won't. And then uh, nothing gets liquidated and people's positions continue to go sideways. So we, we strongly considered that, and that led us to a, a dynamic approach to bounty hunter compensation and we, we face a very tricky problem in importing the the gas and the gas cost information on chain but eventually we had a breakthrough and that was to use use the information uh the the, the gas cost information that we get when people take orders and use that to build the data structure an exponential moving average that can uh quickly adapt to the new information that's coming in well, to clarify there, we, he means gas price. So, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we record the gas price of basically, yeah, taking orders and any other, uh, in, in most other interactions with our contracts, we have other functions that do various things. And whenever anyone's calling in, we, we record the, the gas price that's coming in with the transaction, the specified for the transaction. So we have that data on chain. Okay. And so what do you do with that data? We use it. We use it to uh, deter, to adjust bounty hunter compensation. Yeah, yeah. We have a, um, a exponential moving average of the gas prices. So, yeah. So we we use that we use that implement that input in order to determine and scale bounty hunter compensation. So, and, and it scales linearly. So you know, if the gas price if the gas price is going up to fifty way, then and it was at one way, then bounty hunter compensation is likely going to be rising about 50 times. Okay. So let's say I'm a bounty hunter and uh, just to, to backtrack and take a step back. So we need a system to verify when the trades are going to be liquidated. Doing it on chain is uh, too expensive. So we need some other solution to uh, solve that problem. So we are uh, utilizing bounty hunters for that. So the bounty hunters will, well, can you, uh, from the perspective of the bounty hunter, how will that interaction look on so, for terms of the right. front end and the UI interface and right. actions that they're asked to take? Sure, sure. So they'll build like we're we're uh, providing you know more than one ways for for them to do that. There'll be the our portal DAP. There'll be a section for bounty hunters to actually verify trades, uh, like the the margin level of positions there. But they could also use our b0x.js library, or they could you know, interface for the, you know, the, the more technical body hunters, they can interface directly with our contracts. So the, the, the idea is, is, is they'll run scripts to call into our contracts. They'll do just a, uh, you know, call to their local node um, and just check the, the, the price of order or the, you know, the margin level of positions. And when they find one that's about to, um, 
you know, fall below their margin requirements, they can actually call execute the liquidate function in our contracts. And the, the idea is there'll be a, a race condition. There'll, there'll be certain, you know, a lot of bounty hunters doing this, and the, the winning transaction is the one that gets the bounty reward, the one that liquidates. Mm-hmm. So uh, there will be, uh, let's say, at any given time, there'll be uh, uh, a number of positions that are uh, in margin and they're margin right. active positions and a percentage of those will be nearing liquidation so uh, of those that are nearing liquidation people will be bounty hunters will be watching those trans those uh, trades those active trades that are nearing liquidation and once one hits liquidation then um, any will so then at that point any bounty hunter will be able to receive a reward for calling that execute execute uh, exactly. So we did leave out. We left out one step, which is that you know we want to we want to make sure that bounty hunters don't maliciously liquidate. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. So there there is actually so after they call the liquidate trade method on the B zero X contract, what happens is there's a an or there's an oracle challenge that's initiated, and uh, you know. In the final form of this, we're, we're going to be pulling from the three most li- liquid on-chain DEXs, removing uh, the price with the highest average disagreement, and then taking the volume-weighted average price of the remaining two. Uh, right now, we're going to focus on just uh, Kyber and using their uh, secure on-chain price feed, which is pretty decentralized itself since it's a decentralized uh, network of uh, incentivized market makers. Uh, so, yep. you know, we're pretty satisfied with the level of decentralization and security that Kyber's on-chain price feed provides, but we're going to try to beef it up a little bit in the future when other on-chain decks is, uh, <coughs> really uh, come on. Right. Yeah, we're, we're pretty limited right now in our on-chain uh, solutions for price discovery and liquidation. So for, for our uh, initial rollout of our product, we'll be using Kyber. And we're investigating Bancor to some extent. Right. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And so the price fees are important because uh, if you just have one price that is off or then you you can't call the execute function just based off of one feed because then it's, uh, it's a vulnerability. So you need to exactly. have an average of all of the feeds. Yeah, it's better to decentralize that part and not make it rely on any one part. But 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 yet again, I, I will emphasize that Kyber is itself a pretty secure decentralized price feed, you know, and that's great, but it doesn't hurt to make it a little beefier. Yeah. So th- when you have all these margin positions on um, assets that are relatively illiquid, that could lead to a lot of uh, price fluctuations and volatility and interesting uh, dynamics. Have you guys thought about what to expect in having a lot of uh, margin leveraged positions on illiquid assets? Yeah, so uh, I think that a, a lot of this is going is going to come down to uh, the decentralized governance of the oracle and exploring uh, like risk management models. And having uh, developing solutions to sort of tell which, like, so there's going to be a guarantee fund, right? And the governance of the Oracle needs to make sure that we are only insuring assets which we really should be insuring. 
that, that you know, meet certain risk parameters, meet certain uh, measurements of liquidity, um, and, um, you know, um, generally protect against uh, huge cascades of margin calls. So we're, we're working with, um, we, we just got invited recently to uh, the EtherRisk uh, working group where they're working on decentralized insurance and also working with people who uh, do risk management for uh, like central counterparty clearinghouses and work at MIT and NASDAQ and all these different places, academia, industry. Um, so we're, we're looking into um, kind of seeing what sort of risk management models might be applicable to the guarantee fund. And we think that um, this is some, this is something that's developing to some extent and uh, kind of a matter of research. But I think that, uh, you know, in the beginning, the safest thing to do will be for the guarantee fund to just cover like extremely liquid assets and, and to sort of shy away from um, <clears throat> newer tokens that maybe might not have as thick a market. Okay. That makes sense from a risk management perspective to roll it out on certain uh, assets. And can you control that? And will that be within your guys's ability if it's decentralized to limit? So, which, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, in in the beginning, uh, the Oracle is going to be somewhat centralized in the sense that we're going to be controlling uh, which uh, tokens are covered by it. But uh, the, the, the other thing is using our Oracle um, slowly decentralizes it uh, to the people using it. So we have uh, we have a second token that we don't talk about quite as much, but it's called the, the sugar token. And this, the, the refund. So there's gas refunds that are given to people who uh, take orders and, uh, to sort of make it much more similar to the centralized exchange, uh, user experience. And then there's a uh, sugar tokens paid out to the bounty hunters. So that's how they're compensated. Now the sugar token is back with Ethan. You can, uh, send it into the Oracle contract in order to get ETH out of it, but having it. Uh, gives you some measure of governance. So we're slowly, we're going to be slowly um, decentralizing the Oracle um, to the users. Uh, and, and this model was sort of inspired by uh, eFinex uh, and their Nectar token, how they're uh, <coughs> giving it out to market makers and using that to eventually uh, decentralize the governance of their decks uh, in the hands of these different market makers. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I from my experience, I was a trader at a hedge fund, uh, uh, trading uh, tech stocks and U.S. equity markets for three or four years. So, having traded in around 2008 during the market crash and seeing the liquidity and margin trading and how that can lead to a lot of uh, unintended consequences, and it was pretty interesting from a firsthand experience. Um, so, you know, this project is really interesting to me and, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, really important. And, um, you know, one thing I wanted to focus on that uh, we haven't discussed yet is that there is going to be a, um, a marketplace of oracles in, in this uh, in, the, in, is in the future for how you're envisioning this. Absolutely. Be yeah. mm-hmm. So there'll be the B0X Oracle, which will. Yep. Um, 
be one of many oracles, each offering different types of um, yeah, percentages of uh, return and risk. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. What, what we've been talking about mostly is our flagship oracle, VZRX oracle with the with the bounty hunters and with the, the sugar token. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're going to uh, encourage developers to build on our platform and, uh, you know, they can, they can uh, compete with us. If they can, if they can handle liquidation and monitoring of orders better then we encourage them to uh, build a better solution on top of us. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. Andrew. No, no, please go ahead. Oh, so, and, and then there's also going to be oracles that I think could even be orthogonal to our own. Uh, you know, that we, we've talked to people who have, uh, when we were deep Denver, we talked to a team that seemed to have an idea of adapting uh, our protocol for uh, settlement at uh, actual legacy clearinghouses. So there's, there's apparently, uh, you know, quite a, quite a few uh, options. And, you know, we might, we might not even be able to think of all the things that people will be able to do with our Oracle, but we definitely want them to compete with ours, but also build it out and uh, extend uh, the functionality. Yeah, yeah, they can, they, can, they can fork our Oracle and improve on it and launch their own. As they have better risk management ideas, that's a, that could be a reason that they fork it and they're like, yeah. So, so in another type of Oracle, it wouldn't necessarily be uh, one where the positions are being liquidated by b- bounty hunters, but it could be the positions are being liquidated by any other uh, potential solution. Chainlink, Zap, Oracleize, whatever, you know, whatever works for them. They get, all of these things can be thrown up and, and used as an oracle, and we we have no issue with that. Uh, we, we we think there's definitely some room for experimentation in this space. And so, uh, a third party oracle would then be plugged into the B0X uh, libraries and framework uh, for right. uh, connecting uh, uh, lender borrowers and lenders who have already entered into positions because. With the way that it works with your protocol is that before entering into uh, a transaction, the, the buyers and sellers uh, or, or borrowers and lenders um, select which oracle they want to use, right? Exactly, and that once once that's created in the order, it's immutable, so that, that can't be altered later, uh, at least not in this first iteration of the product. But yeah, yeah, they can when the order is first created, they can pick which oracle they want to interact with. Yeah, the, the, the Oracle that like there's, they have to put a contract address. That contract address should correspond to some Oracle. And then they have to create the order object, which involves signing it with the keys and creating a hash and all this other stuff. Yeah. And we're, we're considering a, uh, having <clears throat> only vetted Oracles in our marketplace. We don't want people putting up malicious Oracles. And, um, so. We, we want to have a, a vetting process for actually uh, Oracle's adding. We're going to have an Oracle registry, so it that <clears throat> it needs to be added to there. Like any, anyone can't throw up any contract because that would be you know kind of irresponsible to allow that. So we want vetted Oracles in our marketplace. That sounds great. So so you mentioned some different types of uh, Oracles. Um, so you could have um, like third-party data sources uh, as a, an Oracle, and then um, is is that the type of thing you were uh, 
thinking of in terms of other types of oracles, like just like a, a trusted third-party da- data source. You mentioned Oracleize as one of them. Yeah, that's that's definitely one way you could go about it. Uh, the, so if you want to use uh, Chainlink or Oracleize, centralized, decentralized. That I mean, any any sort. You, if you want to use your own server, uh, it's 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 really up to you. Uh, you you can customize it in any way. Although there was one thing I wanted to to touch back on just mm-hmm. a little bit about the guarantee fund that I I think was really important, but I neglected to mention. Um, and, and that was just that uh, our guarantee fund is is denominated half in ETH and half in the B0X token. And the reason for this is that you know we we looked at we looked at our token model. And uh, we on the protocol layer, we really like the zero X token model. We, we think the, the governance is a strong use case. But uh, you know, th- there's that article by Vitalik, uh, you know, on medium of exchange tokens, and there there's a there's a strong reason to prefer um, token tokens that have sinks rather than. Um, Tokens that are just mediums of exchange, just so you you know you pay the relay with this uh, to pay the relay fee or something like that. And so from that, we we tried to brainstorm. We're like, okay, how do we how do we get a token sink into here? If that if that really uh, is a lot better model. And, and the fact is, trying to shove a token sink into um some of these token models is not is not great and it doesn't improve the model and and a lot of honestly most of the time it just makes you a security um, like you you're you're doing some kind of you know it, it basically becomes some kind of dividend program or something like that so we we decided we couldn't just have it be some kind of simple token burner uh dividend property like we've been seeing with a lot of these other tokens and that's why we 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 thought it was interesting to to make the guarantee fund partially denominated in our token because that'll help our token grow with the usage of the network. Like the bigger the bigger the network of people using this oracle happens to be, the more money you will need set aside to ensure the right tail risk. And so it actually has a usage and has a purpose. Did it have to be denominated in our token? No, it didn't have to be denominated in our token, but it does help our protocol scale with the usage of our, the value of our protocol scale with the usage of our network in a way that is uh, that actually makes sense. Yeah. So we'll briefly uh, touch on it because we're running already at 45 minutes and, you know, we've covered a lot, but we still have a lot more to cover. Um, so if we don't get it, everything covered in this show, we'd be happy to have you guys on for another show. Because there's a lot to discuss here, and uh, we're right. excited about your project and see where it's going. Excellent. Um, so, uh, so you mentioned there's a B0X token and the Sugar token. Um, could you just briefly uh, talk about, you know, what roles they will? Because we didn't really uh, specifically, uh, sure, like uh, we kind of referenced to it, but we didn't really uh, discuss that. Sure, in, in sure. Detail. So our our B0X token <clears throat> is a protocol token. It, it's very, how it's handled is very similar to how uh, ZRX is handled with ZRX. Uh, and it, it, uh, we're having our TGE for the B0X token. And that 
the, the token is has utility in that it'll incentivize relayers to aggregate our orders, and it <clears throat> allows for protocol governance. So holders of the BZRX token will have a say in governance of the protocol, like new features and upgrades and stuff like that. Okay, so there it has two two uh, mechanisms. So there's the to incentivize the relayers to aggregate the orders, and then to uh, to be a form of decentralized governments using like a, an Aragon type of system. Yeah, right. Exactly. exactly. So we're we're exploring both uh, Aragon and DAO stack. We 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 do like uh, the DAO stack concept of holographic consensus because there you know we we haven't seen Aragon solution yet to sort of incentivize voting. Um, that at least that we're aware of, um, and so we're, we're we're sort, but we're but I think you know they're working on it, and so we're we're kind of waiting and seeing where governance goes, and I think a lot of other protocols are too. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and how does it incentivize the relayers to aggregate the orders? So, so when orders are created, uh, well, go ahead, Kyle. No, you go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So when 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 the loan order is created, if it's a um, the, the the relay's address is specified if it's intended to go on a relay, and also the relays the uh, the maker and taker fees, or in this case the lender and borrower fees, are specified in the loan order. So so when the order is actually taken, uh, those fees are paid to the relay. It is possible to to use our protocol do like a directed loan where it doesn't go through a relay. Like I create a loan object, I specify the parameters, but I leave blank the uh, relay address, and then I send it to you, and you take the order, and we can we I can loan directly to you that way, and there's no fees um, in that case. Got it. So if I wanted to have like a d direct transaction with my buddy, I could just send it to him directly and avoid the the, the maker taker fees, and the Correct. maker taker fees are uh, paid and uh, paid by the the parties who are transacting. And yes, exactly. they go towards the uh, to the to the market makers, and these would be the uh, people on the. Oh, it goes to the relays. It goes, it goes to the, yeah, it goes to the relay or exchange. That's where, where the where the order. Say you know an order is created, it might be listed on a relay, and it would be paid to that relay um, when the order is taken. And so, so just kind of so understand why the the relays need so the relays are who are the the relayers are they just like exchange like decentralized like exchanges? relay okay. the yeah but the, the the orders can really be on any arbitrary medium somebody can just throw up a web page and list our orders on there and be a relay it's you yeah. know it's very easy to get into this yeah you you could even you could even put it up on a subreddit you could create our token loans Mm -hmm. And you could make that a relayer. Zero X did a similar thing as well with our token trade, right? Okay. And then, so then, the second token is the sugar token, and we briefly touched on that, and that's used on the Oracle side. Yeah, and, and the B zero X token is also used on the Oracle side as well. So there's, there's three functions. There's two functions on the protocol layer. One function in the Oracle layer, yeah, right, is, right. It's collateralizing the guarantee fund to some extent. Exactly. And the sugar token is it goes to <laughs> it goes to takers uh, when when they take an order, they have to pay gas fees. They refunded their gas in the form, although not 100% refund, for just uh, to sort of discourage 
attacks that uh, mess with our uh, exponential moving average. So they get a, a partial refund that's denominated in the sugar token, which gives them governance rights over the Oracle. And uh, then there's also uh, the bounty hunters. When they get when they get their bounty, that ba- that bounty is going to be paid to them in sugar token, and that's going to give them uh, governance rights over the Oracle. Okay, got it. Interesting. That's a very creative solution, and I'm looking forward to digging deeper into it and seeing how it works. Uh, so uh, the next thing I want to discuss is the uh, the issue with the uh, decentralized governance and what types of like decisions will the decentralized government uh, governance be making in the in the network? So so on the protocol layer, it's going to be mostly about uh, upgrades. So just like you know, you see Xerox, they're coming out with a second version of the protocol where they're adding all kinds of features, whatnot. Um, and then supposedly people, are, you know, are given a, a voice in governance. But, it, you know, obviously, to some extent, uh, the, the governance framework uh, and infrastructure is not like quite there right now for it to really be living up to the ideals. But th- this will be the general idea where people uh, who are token holders, they'll have to say, and by what direction does this protocol go in? Because, I mean, honestly, there, there, are, there are a lot of ways it could go. There are a lot of different features that could end up being added. Uh, we, ha- we, have, we have a much bigger plan for what we're doing. Um, it just, just like in general uh, for the company, you know, not just on the protocol layer, but beyond the protocol layer and building up above the protocol layer too. That, I, that'll give them a big say in like what direction our development goes in. Just, just as, as an example, you know, we're, we're planning, uh, if you look at our roadmap, we, we tell you that we're actually planning on being a wallet SDK company near the end of the year. Uh, so that's one direction we're going in. And, we, you know, we hope that the community and the token holders, uh, you know, give their input on, on what direction they want to see us build in. Yeah. So that leads to my next question. Um, so tell me, want to transition over to where you guys are at now. Um, you have your white paper, your uh, roadmap, your website. You're planning your uh, your token generation event, your your sale of tokens. Uh, so tell me a little about a bit about what you guys are working on now uh, on a day to day and what's coming up. Sure, sure. We're working hard. We're building out our um, <clears throat> the, the, the contracts. The, the smart contracts are, are are basically complete. There's still some uh, tweaks and. Uh, you know, we don't want to do some optimizations and maybe add a couple small functions here and there. But uh, we're, we're focused on the B0x.js uh, JavaScript library that lets relayers and uh, pretty much anyone interact with our contracts very easily with JavaScript. So we're, we're finishing that and we are working on the portal dApp for, uh, you know, the initial phase of our project. And we want to we're aiming that to be deployed. Uh, on on Robston testnet very soon actually hopefully by the end of the month that's what we're aiming for and then Q2 will be focused on uh, audits of our smart contracts you know fixing any issues that come up uh, anything missed we're gonna you know adding that in and uh, you know in in Q2 we want to have our smart contracts audited redeploy to mainnet and following that is when we'll have our token generation event yeah so oh sorry so just to, just to expand on what he's saying. On the protocol layer, 
for our smart contracts in terms of our Solidity contracts, for everything happening on the back end, that's completely done right now. Uh, that's working. Uh, at this point, we're preparing it for security. Well, you know, like ninety-seven percent done. Hold on, let me let me uh, <laughs> let me let me sort of like expand on like what Tom is saying here because he he does like to hedge a little bit. Um, there's going to be some modifications likely to the smart contract. Just and here's here's an example of one we recently made. Um, <clears throat> when when we're making the, it's it's going to be more interactions that the portal DAP needs rather than. Uh, are strictly necessary for the protocol to function. Like if, if exactly. people wanted to, yeah. using, you know, if they are f- very familiar with contract ABIs, they can do everything already. Like the last, the last modification he made was so that uh, the portal could pull up uh, order histories. So it, it's, it's that those sort of modifications that we're at right now, the, the, the core functionality is built and we're, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's just, just auxiliary functions basically being added and, and some optimization here and there and, you know, preparing for the for the audits. Yeah, so the audits are going to be happening in Q2? Correct. Yeah, we're, yeah. I mean, we're, basically, we're basically in the process right now of lining them up. We're starting to call people, starting to get on their schedule. We want to uh, get some audits by some leading names, maybe Consensus, maybe Nick Johnson, maybe... Uh, opens up when we're 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 in the process right now of, of putting together the list of people and reaching out to them. But the basically the ball is starting to roll on the audits at this point. Nice, that sounds great. Yeah, we use the zero knowledge labs uh, for our audits. Uh, with I think Nick Johnson works uh, as an auditor at, at their uh, firm. Uh, okay. We'll check so, them out. Yeah, I would recommend them. They're, they're a great firm. Uh, so um, let's see what's next. So we've covered, uh, I mean, we briefly touched on the portal DAP and the Box.js library, but um, in case we didn't you know, fully expand on and go into detail about that, the portal DAP is just like a front-end interface where people can interact with the, the platform and place and, and sell place orders and uh, enter into positions. Absolutely. For very, very non-technical users, uh, well, assuming that they know how to <clears throat> use MetaMask uh, or like ledgers, uh, we're going to, you know, add in other, you know, ledger and treasure. But like initially, well, it'll be, it'll support MetaMask. Um, but, you know, yeah, they can, they can interact with our contracts and kind of end to end. They can create the orders, they can fill the orders, and then there'll, there'll be a section for lenders, for, for borrowers, and for uh, bounty hunters. Yeah, if you want an idea of what it's going to look like, go to Xerox, click on their portal app. Uh, you create order objects there, create order objects here. Take order objects there, take order objects here. Yeah, that, very similar. Yeah, our our dash will be a lot more comprehensive because it will have like, you know, a bounty hunter section and a way to monitor open positions and stuff like that. Yeah, and the available orders will be from just any specific like relayer or, or exchange or will they be from all of them or how will that work? Does that make sense? Well, well the, it's the orders that have been filled. If somebody creates an order, we don't store a record of that when it's created. It's only when it's taken. So the orders out on relayers won't be necessarily visible in our portal app because <clears throat> it's only monitoring what's already escrowed in the contract. Oh, yeah, I got it. Okay. All right. So... Uh, so then you have the token sale coming up uh, after the security audits are complete. And then um, 
Tell me about the the token sale, the token generation uh, events. Uh, when is that planned for, and uh, what will that look like? So I, I think we're a little. Some of the details are evolving now that uh, the SEC is uh, making people a little bit more jumpy. At first, we were intending on having this, uh, having our crowd sale open to U.S. citizens. Where uh, you know we're incorporated in the U.S. We're only doing the token sale after we have a fully working product launched on mainnet, completely audited. Uh, but uh, it, it, it's that's going to be Q2. Uh, we're working towards it. Um, so a date we gave was Jan- June 30th. But the, the truth is, uh, you know, development is coming on pretty well in the cards that the contracts could be ready earlier. And if that's the case, we might uh, launch the TGE earlier than June 30th, assuming everything is completed at that time. Right, right. We, we are in a private sale now just to, you know, private uh, strategic partners. Um, so we are doing, we're, that is ongoing right now. Anything else that we didn't touch on that you want to focus on in more detail or any other topics? The bigger vision of what we're doing might not be completely clear to people yet because we focus a lot on just uh, what we're doing, like, this quarter into the next few months, but this is uh, this is a much bigger project. That, I, that these are just like single pillars of a much bigger project, in my opinion. And w- what we're looking to do, you know, it, to, to give the very big picture overview, what we're looking to do is ultimately bring every single long position in the entire ecosystem into the liquidity pool of the decentralized exchanges and. The way we're looking to do that is by building out uh, decentralized counterparty clearinghouses that uh, pool together loans and then tokenize the output of that, that so that the risk is smoothed over. And having, you know, and since, you know, every single loan is already covered by our guarantee fund at even the most granular level, uh, pooling the loans and tokenizing them. That will get us to a like smart contract version of what central counterparty clearinghouses already do. And then once we do that, we want to create liquid secondary markets for those tokens. And then we want to abstract away the whole thing. have like a wallet SDK where people are holding their tokens. They think they're holding their regular tokens, but they're going to be holding what we call iTokens or the interest bearing version of their tokens behind the scenes that they want to send their tokens to other people who have iTokens in their wallet, that it'll just look like they're changing their tokens around regularly. And if not, we'll have, you know, Kyber or something, uh, you know, send the iToken to one address and it pops out to the other person as the regular token. But what we want is for people to be accruing interest in the background, just like a bank account. Like when you go to the bank, you put your money in and then behind the scenes, it gets loaned out, you know, for 6%, you get three. Supposedly, that's how it goes. But we want it to be loaned out behind the scenes and you get all of the interest. And then we want to expand beyond just margin lending. There's multiple different kinds of lending. There's a whole financial system in the background to replace with smart contracts. So we want to work with people like ETHLAND, people who are doing secured loans, people who are doing reputational-based loans. We want to help them pull them together in CDOs, and we want them to tokenize it and we want to have it all part of a comprehensive wallet SDK that 
completely replaces everything. The financial system with smart contracts and has your money lent out to get you the highest risk adjusted return possible. We're looking forward to uh, following your project and seeing how it develops over the time. And we would love to have you back on the show for uh, a second uh, episode. Absolutely. Yeah, we'd love to. Uh, sure. Yeah, it, was, it was great coming on. Yeah, we would, we'd love to talk more. So my guest on the program today is Tom Bean and Kyle Kistner of B0X. And you can find them on b0x.network and check the show links below for details of some of the projects and uh, articles we discussed. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. We look forward to following up and speaking to you again soon. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks so much, Angelo. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bounty Zero X podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast below. Check out BountyZeroX.io, the number one bounty hunting platform where you can complete work and earn cryptocurrency. Please consult your professional financial investment and tax advisors before making any investment in initial coin offerings. Bounty Zero X does not provide investment or financial advice and does not endorse or recommend investment in any ICOs advertised on the Bounty Zero X podcast or website.